Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up and then we stopped talking to each other for a year and now we do a podcast together. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. Hello, SJ. Hello. What day is it where you are? It's a Monday. I have the day off. Like, are you meant to have the day off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm sick. <laughs> no. Actually, I've been doing a thing of usually I will just do everything. Like okay. if someone's like, do you want to come into work? I'm like, yeah, I'll come into work. Do you want to do this other thing? I'm like, yeah, I'll do that other thing. Um, That's a good way to get ahead. Uh, but it's also a good way to like run yourself into the ground. No, that doesn't seem realistic. <laughs> My August, I'm looking at, I think, I think I'm basically going to be working full time in August and trying to launch another podcast and um well now I'm going to be trying to fulfill a lot of Patreon stuff and I'm feeling quite nervous about that I have no useful advice I uh I sometimes burn out like I burned out a few weeks ago and then I got strep throat do you know anything about strep throat no I probably should have researched it or asked you about it at some point during that entire time that you were sick yeah so I was I was out with strep throat for like somewhere between seven and ten days and it's not a thing I've ever had before I don't know if it's really common in Australia it seems to be very very common over here so it's that whole thing of like going to new continent and your body is not prepared for things I learned well after the fact it's not the kind of thing that normally goes away by itself you're really really meant to go to the doctor <laughs> This is where you would have been like, ah, I wish that I was still engaged to that beautiful, loving, caring, medically minded individual (laughs) that I previously was. So I, yeah, I, when I get sick, I just kind of lie in bed until it goes away again. And that works most of the time. It turns out strep throat is a thing that you're meant to go on a course of antibiotics for. And I did not do that. And I really should have done that. And so I was sick for a long time. Like 10 days is a very long time to be super sick. I didn't notice I was sick for about four days. I was just like, man, I'm getting less work done than normal. Better work harder. (laughs) And then on the fourth day was like, I am going to lie down for today because I was just not able to get anything done. Like my brain was just so foggy. So I spent seven days in bed watching TV, which is kind of like a really, really, really nice side effect of being sick is that I get a chance to watch all the TV I never get a chance to watch. But yeah, I I did not go to a doctor. I did not Google anything. I was just like, this will go away. And it did go away, but (laughs) it's not a sensible way of dealing with it. When uh, we were going out, this was like an ongoing argument uh, where it would always shit me. And this is awful. I I think I'm a bit more understanding now, right? (laughs) Right? I mean, it would would be hard not to be, but yes. (laughs) I would always get annoyed at you for not being sick in the way that I thought that people should be sick. What am I like when I'm sick and how do you think people should be sick? Oh, no, it's just that it's funny because I have the same thing with my partner now because you're kind of like, okay, I'm sick. Well, my 
I, what I'm going to do is watch a lot of TV and lie in bed and I'm not going to go see the doctor. This is just going to go away and whatever. But my first point of call is always like, oh, I have a headache. Oh, I'll take some Panadol. And then I'm like, Peter, you have a headache. Why are you not taking Panadol and you're just complaining at me? I didn't complain at you. Yeah, I think I just got shitty about having to look after you when you wouldn't take drugs, which is a dick move. I, I, don't, I don't think you had to look after me. When I'm sick, I think I tend to just like go away and do my own thing. I think I used to really have a kind of like a martyr kind of complex <laughs> of like, you are sick and I always have to deal with your shit. Um, which is a lovely aspect to any relationship. I feel like if you want to, you should definitely consider picking that up at the store. It's always hard to analyze yourself, but I'm pretty sure when I'm sick, I'm very much like, cool, I just want to go and close to myself in a room and watch TV. Like, I just don't want to interact particularly. Like, you're welcome to come and hang out, but I don't want to do things. Whereas when I was sick, I remember you being like, Peter, I know you're sick, but can you just help me with these 18 things? Or like, Peter, I know you're sick, but I need to move my keyboard into another room and then I need to make this bed for my Kia. And then I actually want to go to the shops. Can you drive me and then actually pick me up from a concert afterwards? And that's probably when I would complain that I was sick. And you were like, but you could take a Panadol. <laughs> I, I, I guess what it is is that I just very rarely stop. I, I very rarely stop. When I'm sick is the time that I stop. I know, but I don't even really stop when I'm sick. Uh, this is I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I was just <laughs> thinking about, like, the, the last time that I've been sick in bed was right before I went to hospital in 2014 and I had yeah. the flu and gastro at the same time. And um, being sick in bed was a really, really, really bad experience and the isolation and all that kind of stuff is part of sort of like the story of going to hospital anyway. Yes, yeah, I, I have no issues with isolation. So when I'm sick, I just don't want anything demanded of me. I just want to lie in bed. I just want to be sick and left alone. See, nowadays I'd really like to be sick enough to be like, I'm going to watch a lot of TV. <laughs> what would you watch? I just finished watching Barracuda, which is, it's a four-part uh, Australian drama based on a book by, I'm going to get his name wrong, Christus Tsoukas? <laughs> Christus Tsoukas? Christus Tsoukas? Tsoukas? I have no idea. I've never heard of this person. It's really good. And uh, my partner's been away, but I I watched the last episode by myself and I bawled so profusely yeah. in the last episode. Yeah, you can't get it because it's on ABC iView. But anyone in Australia can get it for free. Because I like to work all the time. It's really hard for me to watch TV. Yeah. And that's why I don't really watch TV either. Yeah. it's it's I just don't make time for it. It's really hard. And so when I'm sick, I'm like, like while I was sick over those 10 days, I watched a whole season of Daredevil, a whole season of House of Cards, three seasons of The Good Wife. Like I watched so much TV. And the thing is, The Good Wife is an incredibly good show and I didn't finish it. So now I'm like halfway through this TV show, wanting to watch oh. the rest, and like I spent the last like the last two weeks, last week, just catching up on all the work that I didn't do while I was sick. I'm mostly caught up now. By the end of the day, I should be entirely caught up. But I just want to watch TV. Like the new season of BoJack Horseman just came out on Netflix, and I'm like, I really want to watch that. I don't have time. So what I'll what I'll tend to do is when I'm washing up or when I'm cooking or when I'm doing any householdy things, I'll put TV on. But I don't like to do that for new stuff because. You're not really watching it then? What do you, what, what's new stuff? Like stuff I haven't seen before. Oh, yeah, okay. This is going to sound weird. I feel weird about saying this. I don't know why. 
One thing I really like about being in a relationship is for me that's a guilt-free reason to watch TV. Ah! <laughs> Actually, I realise I think I feel the same way. Yeah, and so you and I used to watch a bunch of TV because I like showing people TV and I like cuddling up and watching TV and it's bonding time where there's no distractions from the TV, but also you get to watch TV. You are quite um, fierce on your enforcement of the no distractions while watching TV rule. Are you still, are you still as, um, are you still as... I think maybe you have a warped perspective of it because you would go on your phone and then ask questions about the stuff you missed. No, but you were like, you can't like talk to the cat. I feel like that's not a fierce requirement. If I'm watching a TV show in the room with you and you start having a conversation with an object that cannot interact with you or care that you're talking... <laughs> a cat is not an object. A cat is an object. It's not an inanimate object. It is still an object. Yeah, you'd always have like really passive-aggressive responses. You'd be like, the cat can't speak English, SJ. And I'd be like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I feel like that is so reasonable that while I am watching TV, you don't talk to nothing for no purpose. I don't think that there's no purpose in that interaction. I just think that the, it's mostly about about me. About you? Like, what, what do you get out of ruining my TV experience? <laughs> what do I get out of talking to animals? While I'm watching TV specifically. Let's just take out the context. What do I get out of talking to animals? <laughs> I like animals. Talking to them is comforting. Cuddling them is comforting. Cuddling them I have no issue with. Talking over the TV show is a problem. Like, do you not see why that's a problem? <sighs> I think we experience TV in different ways. Okay, how would you feel if you were having sex with someone and they started talking to the cat during sex? I would be intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me... This is years ago now. Uh, I, I made these, all these drawings that were like my cat in sexual situations, not like in a bestiality way, in a like, <laughs> in a like there's sex happening and the cat is there and doesn't care way. Does that make sense? Okay. Sure. I was just really interested for some reason. This is when I was like 18 or 19. I was really interested in this whole like having sex in front of your pets thing, I think. What intrigued you about it? This is me just becoming really interested in like sex and shame and like what's taboo. I think at the time I would ask everyone whether it was okay to have sex in front of your pets and people would come up with heaps of different answers. I remember when I was about 18, 19, I got really obsessed with asking people if they thought animals had souls because I don't think anything has a soul. Do you mean like the O-U kind or the O-L-E kind? Yeah, the O-L-E kind. It's, okay. it's a, it's a shoe-based question. I, <laughs> I agree. Uh, cats, uh, I mean, they don't have soles of shoes, but they do have soles of their paws, right? No, see, I don't believe that they do. <laughs> I think it's a scientific conspiracy <laughs> to fool the God-fearing people of this earth into this liberal bullshit. So I would uh, I worked at a service station at a like a Seven Eleven kind of thing called Night Owl in Brisbane, and I would get very bored during my shifts. So I started chatting to customers, and there were a few of them that I kept in contact with for years. I remember being in Melbourne, and me and a guy were staring at each other, and I was just like, "I'm sorry, I know you. I have no idea how." And he was like, "I know you. I don't know how." And we worked out that like five years ago, he'd been one of my regular customers at this store, and he'd moved to Melbourne since then. And I was just like, "This is so cool." 
but uh, the question that I would ask is, you know, do you think animals have souls? And then if they said yes, I'd say, do you think worms have souls? And there's very, very few people out there who believe that worms have souls. And so there's this real, like, sliding scale of what has a soul and what doesn't that I was just so fascinated by. People have really different attitudes to, to different animals, particularly if they're cute. Yeah, absolutely. Like, apparently it's illegal to eat cat in Australia. I would believe that, yeah. I've not verified this, but I like my brain is genuinely like, why? Why is that the line? If it's for like parasite reasons, sure, but I'd be very surprised if that's the case. We have attachments to cats, generally. So the idea that you would eat one of them is, you know, no fun. Yeah, but people have attachment to cows. Some people worship them as part of their religion. Yeah, I know, but culturally, uh, it's not as big of a thing. Cows have such beautiful eyelashes. <laughs> have you, have you, oh, they've got such beautiful faces, particularly calves because they've just got such giant eyes, big eyelashes. Ugh. You know what? I think that maybe what they should do when they're advertising like mascara is they should put it on a cow. No, but then people think the makeup is tested on animals. Actually, I just realized that as I said that, and <laughs> this is maybe hypocritical, but I don't like when like a butcher advertises themselves using a cartoon like cow or something as their mascot. Because <laughs> that's, that's what people are eating. That's what they sell. I know sell it's cow. what they're eating, but just the whole like really happy, charming looking cow selling Man, you eating it. Are you okay with McDonald's? You know, it's all clown meat. Clown meat. <laughs> <laughs> or Grimace. It's just fried Grimace. <laughs> I was actually listening to a really interesting podcast the other day called Invisibilia, which is my, I think it actually is my favorite podcast now. I've listened to it before, but they just brought out a new season recently. And they were talking about opening the first McDonald's in um, Soviet Russia. There's no McDonald's in Soviet Russia? No, sorry. This was in the 80s. Oh, right. Okay. So, and they were talking about how one of the big issues was the cheeriness that McDonald's has associated with its brand and how that didn't really work in Russia. <laughs> they interviewed people in this episode. I haven't finished the episode, actually, where they start talking about what training the actual employees did to become cheery. But someone was talking about how they were taught in high school that, like, of the, like, the insincere American smile. Yeah, yeah. The... Like, that when Americans smile, it's... Like they're being ins insincere and inauthentic and fake, um, which makes sense given like how those different cultures use smiling. Um, yeah. Anyway, I was just like, oh my god. Oh, actually, in that podcast there was a really, really great um, story. It's the episode called "Flip the Script," and they were talking about this guy who was going to be managing the like biggest oil rig in the universe maybe not the universe in the world the at least whole universe in the world uh <laughs> like way bigger than anyone had been before and how to be able to do that he he needed to like change the culture of the workforce okay the culture of like the oil riggers previously was very i suppose stereotypically masculine like you don't ask questions you don't show vulnerability. If your friend dies in front of you, maybe you stop work for 10 minutes, but then you just keep on working because you're a tough man. Yeah, that doesn't seem very emotionally healthy. Exactly. But the other <laughs> thing that's interesting is that it's also not very safe. 
Because if you have people who can't show vulnerability, it means that they can't ask questions, they can't say when they don't understand something. Anyway, what they did was they got this half-blind French woman who runs this company called Learning is Leadership, I think, something like that. And they did all these exercises in like vulnerability with these um, oil riggers and like got them to tell their life stories and crying and talking about how, you know, their kid has some sort of awful disease and all the hard things that they've done, all that kind of thing, of which a lot of them were like, this is bullshit. But after they did it, accidents went down by 84%. Whoa, really? Yeah. Huh. The narrator on the podcast talks about how, like, this new, brand new, revolutionary technological advance in terms of oil rigging and I don't want to go into the ethics of oil rigging mostly because I don't know anything about it <laughs> except that I have this concept that there's bad stuff going on I just don't know what it is well rig rig is actually a racial term oh my god shut up oil rig is the politically incorrect thing you should say oil drilling <laughs> I don't know I don't, shut up <laughs> so saying that like this this um piece of advanced technology was built on the basis of like all this fancy technological stuff and also male tears. <laughs> like these advances were built on, um, re yeah, redefining um, masculinity for them in some way. Exploring masculinity in a different way. Yeah. It was interesting. They had a point in there where they were saying that was it that they the whole thing became more safe as the people became more feminine and someone was, they were making the argument that actually it was that they were becoming more themselves. Yeah, yeah, hiding themselves less. It's kind of interesting though. I just, I just thought that that was kind of a weird distinction because like they are definitely exhibiting more feminine traits. Yeah. And I just thought that was weird to be like, like, you know how this like poo poo on femininity and then it's like, no, 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 they're not becoming feminine. They're just becoming more themselves. Does that make sense? Sort of, yeah. I mean, it, I think I think it'll be hard to find anyone listening to this who disagrees that like our view of masculine and feminine is pretty fucked up. Yeah. And so, like, you could you could read that in two different ways. You could read that as, oh well, we don't want to say people are feminine. Or you could read that as like that's not feminine. Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing yeah, to do yeah, with yeah. being feminine. It's oh no, that's why I said sure, feminine but... traits. Yeah, but yeah, but that is still saying the same thing. They're traditionally feminine traits, yeah, yeah, not yeah. actually feminine traits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What we think of as feminine. Yeah. Was it you who was telling me that they did studies to find that the best way to get something out of a small group? So, like, I think it was Microsoft or one of the or Google, one of those big ones, was is like to squeeze them really, really, really hard until they like kind of just like <laughs> explode. Liquify. Like, like <laughs> no, no, they just like vomit. But there's ideas in that. <laughs> is to put people in small groups that they are comfortable failing in. Oh yeah, totally. I don't think it was fail I don't think failing was quite the word, but it was like comfortable taking risks, that's what it is. Yeah. If you have people in a small group where they are 100% comfortable to take risks without fear of judgment, that is how to get the best out of any workforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like that would tie into what you're saying in that like being okay showing vulnerability is to be okay with taking risks. Oh, absolutely. It's something that I talk about a bit in my work. So when I run groups and trainings and stuff, so you know how, actually you probably haven't been in many situations like this, but often at the start of trainings or groups or whatever, they have like a bit where they talk about group group values or group guidelines. 
I, all I remember is in high school, we did this activity that I remember hating, which is that they're like, hey, look, we don't want to tell you guys what to do. So how about we suggest stuff and we'll write it down. And that way we've come up with these rules as a group. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this is a scam. They're <laughs> scamming us. They don't actually care what we think. Every single group is going to have the same rules written down. So I'd be stuff like, I reckon no one should be allowed to wear hats. <laughs> You said that. And they were like, well, well, let's see what the group says. And I was like, oh, okay, so, so it's like a majority rules kind of thing. And they're like, well, yeah. And then like, as it went on, they'd be like, oh, how about what if we're not allowed to talk over each other? That's a good one, isn't it? Everyone's like, yeah, that's good. And I'm like, you would, that's just, the, you're just giving us the rules. These are not determined as a group. Oh, like... But because I was, <laughs> because I was funny, I was able to like make a few jokey ones and everyone was like, haha, yeah, we should put that down. And so the guys running the group had to, like, write down, okay, no one's allowed to, like, I can't even remember, like, no, no one's allowed to make guitar noises, or everyone has to make guitar noises, or just something absolutely ridiculous. And they're like, I guess, you know, we've set the rules of it, we're doing this as a group, we have to write this down. Is it like that? <laughs> it is actually, it's actually remarkably similar to that. But I find that often in those sort of groups and stuff, it makes sense. People want to like, uh, you want to like get that done really quickly, but you want people to feel like they can contribute to it. Does that make sense? <laughs> Which is the situation you're talking about. We're like, let's just think of some ideas. Let me just throw out a th few and basically you just come up with the same stuff. Um, yeah. But you do that. Yeah, but I try. I try oh, to do it a you're little the worst. bit. Shut up! No, 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 you're no, no. You're a fucking scary no, high no, schooler. I'm no. onto you. Shut up. I try and do it differently. So. You're going to bag the shit out of me for this now. I realize I shouldn't have started telling the story. So, and this is from the training that I did in intentional peer support. What we're talking about in terms of being in a group where you feel like you can take risks, where you can say something wrong, where you can challenge each other and it's okay. That's really important to create like a learning environment or where people can get some done. So that means that actually having an agreement on how we're going to behave is really important. It's just really difficult to make that agreement and have people actually feel like it's robust. Invested. Invested, like that they feel like that is the place where they can do that. Oh, okay. So like to believe it. Yeah, to believe it. Like you'd be like, okay, group guidelines, we won't talk over each other, but really um, I'm not going to like say anything that I might be afraid. You know, it's difficult to like get people in a space where they can do that. Anyway, in intentional peer support, we have this, we talk about a discomfort agreement. So rather than a like, these are our values or these are our rules, it's like learning is uncomfortable, challenging each other is uncomfortable. What do we need to be able to feel okay with that discomfort? Okay. So then it's actually really genuinely trying to be like, what, like, what actually do you guys need? Often there's a lot of stuff that's really similar, but then stuff like, one of the ones that always comes up is confidentiality. People are like, what's said in the room stays in the room. And often I'll like, not challenge that, but I'll ask like, what does that actually mean? Because to me, yeah. that will mean, like that's my experience of polyamory, which we've discussed in the previous three episodes, <laughs> um, <laughs> has shown me that people have very different ideas of what things mean. Um, but like for some people, what's said in the room stays in the room can mean like you cannot talk about anything that happens here for some it's like you can talk about what happens here but you can't talk about anyone in a way that would identify them yeah 
some it's like some groups people are like i don't want you to call on me okay they, they don't want to be put on the spot yeah like i don't want you to be like peter what do you think of this like genuinely it's about what do you need and some people have been like i don't want you to i don't want you to point at me just like just like during the lunch break i don't want you to sit there for the whole hour pointing at me because people do that a lot and it's creepy no I but don't understand. when we talk about like when we talk i don't want to use a buzzword here but it's it's basically about like if you know what it's about makes, synergy. If you know what makes you feel uncomfortable, Web two point then you can you can tell us and we'll like you know we'll try and do that. And it, sometimes it's like sometimes I'm gonna get pissed off and leave the room and being like, if that's what you need to do, that's okay. What can we do so that that still feels okay for everyone? Yeah. Does that make sense? And sometimes it's like being like, just to let you know, if you leave the room, someone's gonna follow you unless you say. I'm fine, don't follow me. I've done a bunch of improv classes over the years and because improv is like getting up there and doing stuff off the top of your head, you need to not be guarded. It's so important that you feel okay with taking risks. Yeah. And there will probably always be people who afterwards are like, I can't believe they did that. That's in a, that's unescapable. That's just part of human life. But you want to make sure that going in, you, you're okay doing those things. One of the best activities I've seen for that is the teacher getting up in front of everyone and being like, hey, everyone is going to get up and do this. This is a mandatory part of the class. If you're not okay with this, you're not going to be okay with improv. That's fine, but this is not for you. Over the next 30 seconds, I'm going to try to get every single surface of my body to touch the floor. Yeah. Not all at once, but like over the 30 seconds. And it's insane to watch people do that because you're like, you're pressing your face against the floor and then like rolling around and then trying to get like the, the bits in between your fingers there. And, and like, you're just doing ridiculous, nonsensical things. For me, I'd and be once... like, what's the point of even trying? This is just an unachievable goal, guys. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go home. This is fucked. Life this is guy pointless. doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Jesus. But it, I found that to be a really effective way of just having people be like, oh, I can look like an idiot. Because we're all going to do it. Yeah. Another way that I've seen is, is for the teacher to just do something really... Like, for the teacher to fail. Like, improv is about failing. When you do improv, you will fail, fail, fail. And so when the teacher is okay with failing, that's a really good way of making everyone else being like, oh, it's okay not to be perfect at things. Oh, yeah. That's where it's really helpful if you fuck up hardcore. Even though it's really, really... I still find it really uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, that, that's the point, though. Like, that, that's why it works, because you are doing something that is obviously uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but that's part of it. That's part of, like, sitting in the discomfort. I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm starting up a peer group, and it starts to... <laughs> we did a whole episode about it. Well, it, that's, where it, that's where it ended up, yes. It starts tomorrow, which, when this comes out, will be, like, three weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like really thinking about how to sort of facilitate that in a way because it's difficult and it's going to be there's definitely going to be awkward weird stuff because there always is with every group particularly in this thing of like because I sent out a survey to people who emailed me who are interested and some people have said I really don't want this to be a support group I really want this to be a discussion group okay does that distinction make sense yeah Support group comes with a certain connotation of responsibility. Yeah, and also people potentially sharing a lot more per personal stuff, I suppose. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that. For me, if, if I was in a support group, I would be expected to support other people in a way that uh, I might not want to. 
Whereas a discussion group, there is no responsibility for the other members. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. no responsibility. You can't, like, talk everyone into killing themselves and be like, nope, it's a discussion group, no responsibility. Um, well, but... that's a fucked idea. What? Sorry, that was just, like, really weird thing to say. <laughs> okay. Yep. My, my, my point was that, like, there is still the responsibility yeah. of being a decent human. Yes. But not the responsibility of, like, exchanging numbers and being there for each other outside of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, because uh, I've done a lot of, like, group therapy... And speaking with someone else who had done uh, an, a few kind of, you know how there's AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. Yep. There's also like Narcotics Anonymous, Debtors Anonymous, Eaters Anonymous. Yep. There's like fruit. Uh, sexaholics Anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, basically everything about AA is fundamentally flawed. Yeah. I don't know very much about it. So the guy who started AA got a vision from god being like you need to start this support group revealed like 20 years later that during the time of this vision he was taking lsd yeah so this vision may not have been as divinely inspired as people assumed it was uh the seven ten the seven steps of aa one of them is uh belief in give a your life power. over to higher power yeah and originally that was, I think, explicitly God. As it's gone on, they've been like, oh, it's not necessarily God, just any higher power. You can choose taxes if you want. But for a long time, it was explicitly like, hand your life over to God. And AA is, I think, the exact same level of effectiveness as quitting cold turkey or is like any other kind of method and way less effective than many other methods of, of quitting alcohol. Really? Where is this information from? I don't have the source. I can look it up. Like, I haven't memorized the That's, thing like, really this. surprising to me. Just because, um, so the thing, as I said, I don't know heaps about AA. I do know about the, um, uh, but I think it's belief in a higher power. But I've also spoken to people who've been involved and they said, you know, the belief in a higher power could be anything. It could be that you believe that your life is meaningful or, you know. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, they've really taken this thing and been like, but it can be that. Whereas... Especially when it started, it was really explicitly God. Sure. One of my favorite blog posts, blog series on the internet is by, I can't remember his name, but he's the guy who, do you ever heard of VeggieTales? Yes. Where do I know that from? Uh, VeggieTales was a Christian animated TV series that was made direct for video for Walmart, I think, in the 90s. Huh. The company was called Big Idea Productions. And the guy who started it has done this amazing series of blog posts. It's long, like it's a hell of a long read, but it is literally one of my favorite reads on the internet where he talks about the entire process of like how the company went bust. Okay. And he is very heavily religious. VeggieTales was explicitly a religious show. It was about bringing kids to God and all this kind of stuff. And oh my God, it's so good. He talks about, uh, they started to have success. They started to have really good success. And so the company just expanded like crazy. He was like, I want to be Disney. That is my aim. It is to be the religious Disney, like Disney for Christians. That's what I want to do. But he didn't say that's what I want to do. He said, God told me that I was on the right path. Oh, like, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. He knew that God was, God wanted him to do this. He was like, oh, this is so clear. God wants me to do this. This is the correct path for me. The company started expanding. And because the company was expanding, the company started really expanding because everyone was like, other people are hiring people. I should hire some people. And so like over the course of six months, the company like tripled in size or something like that. They started making a movie called Jonah and the Jonah and the Whale, uh, which was obviously a retelling of Jonah and the Whale. It was not called that. It was called something similar. 
And Did you say it was obviously a retelling of Jonah and the whale? That's a story from the Bible. Oh, it sounds like a it sounds like a Pixar movie. <laughs> no, the the Bible has a story about Jonah being swallowed by a whale on his way to preach. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm so religious religiously illiterate. <laughs> and so uh, they were going to do this as their first like half hour telly movie, and then they were like, the the guy who's writing the script kept writing and writing, and eventually he ended in it was an hour and a half, and they were like, let's let's make a theatrically released film. And he was like, well, look, it'll be like three times the budget, but you know what? Let's do it. So originally this is going to be a half hour TV movie or maybe an hour long TV movie with a budget of say a million dollars. They were like, let's put $4 million into this. They got maybe a third of the way through the production and realized that so far they had spent $5 million. Wow. That's a lot of money. So they could, like, they couldn't just release what they had, obviously. So they either had to put another 10 million into it to finish it or just lose that $5 million entirely. And so he prayed, and God was like, I want you to be the next Disney. This is clearly the direction to go. So he put another $10 million into it. The film finished with a final budget of $20 million. Yeah. If this film didn't make back $20 million, the company was going to go bust. Can I guess that it didn't? So the best way to make a film make money is to market the film, which costs money. Checks out. So that they had the choice of either like putting a million dollars into marketing or putting five or ten million dollars into marketing in the hope that that would drive them to make the whole thirty million dollars back. So this two million dollar film or this one million dollar film ended up costing them something like thirty million dollars and made a total of three million. Wow. Which for the original million dollar budget was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. At the end of these blog posts, he talks about like the company went bust and they had to sell, and it's all really it's a really really interesting, engaging read from start to finish. It's one of those things that you just have your hands over your face the whole time, being like, like "No, oh, look behind shit. you, don't go in there." At the very end of this blog series, he goes and it and I realized as I you know closed the doors on this company that it hadn't been God telling me to do all this. I had been telling me to do all this. Yeah. God had been telling me to slow down. And that story, if you take God out of it, is a way less tragic story. Wait on. If you take God, what does it look like when you take God out of it? If it's not God telling him to do this stuff, he's not going to ignore logic and advice and press forward. He's going to think about it more. Oh, yeah. If you have God in your ear telling you to do a thing, you're going to ignore real world evidence. Because how can real-world evidence possibly trump God, the creator of everything who is always correct? Then, when it fails, it's super easy to be like, ah, turns out that wasn't God because God is never wrong. Like, it's so... I am a, a, I'm, I'm a more, way less of a vocal atheist than I used to be, uh, but I am still very much an atheist. I kind of moved my vocalism to feminism, which is a much more interesting and pressing issue, I think, that affects more people than atheism ever did. Wait, and really? Yeah, I used to be. I used to be as vocal about atheism as, as I am now about feminism. No, but I mean, um, I'm just curious about. I've never really thought about whether feminism is more important than atheism. Okay, is there a question in there? Why do you think feminism is more important than atheism? <laughs> uh, because I think I think that religion is way more transparent. It's really easy to see what religion is doing. All right. I think I think misogyny is really well masked. Uh, I was having this great conversation on Facebook, which you know you always do on Facebook. Facebook is never anything but great conversations. That's what they should have as their tagline: <laughs> nothing but great conversations. I love this really interesting conversation about Ghostbusters. 
because the new Ghostbusters film is a remake of the original with a female cast in the place of men. And also didn't... Someone got banned from Twitter over this. Yeah, there's been a lot of drama around it. A common sentiment I keep seeing come up is people saying, guys, maybe people aren't bagging it out because it's women. Maybe they're bagging out because it's not a very good film. And that's absolutely true. People are maybe bagging it out because it's not a very good film. But the level of hate that this film has gotten since the very first trailer, since the very first preview, is something I have never seen a film receive. Like, I've never seen people this angry about a film. And people are like, yeah, but that's because Ghostbusters is a classic and they shouldn't have remade it. And I'm like, that it... remaking classic films has been the oeuvre of the last 10, 15 years. That is not the first time this has happened. So you have to look at it and be like, what's different here? Oh, look. And then, yeah, like I said, someone was like, I think, I think you're reading too much into this. I think you're putting feminism in this when it doesn't have a place. And I was like, look at it this way. If you looked at a list of all the black people who were convicted for drug offences and all the white people who were convicted for drug offences, and you saw that every time a black person got convicted, they got twice the, the sentence, to go, yeah, I think it doesn't have to do with race. I think maybe it's the fact that they were doing drugs. That's why they got convicted, is to miss the point. It might be an average film. It might be a poor film. It might not be a good film. Those are all valid reasons to criticise it. The fact that it's gotten this level of hate, this like level of anger and malevolence, has not... You know, you've got to look at it and be like, what's different here? Similarly, if you look at black people getting twice the offence and you're like, yeah, they did a crime. They deserve to go to jail. No one's saying they don't deserve to go to jail. People are saying there's something fucked up going here beyond that. There's a really great article by The Guardian where they actually put some money into doing some research into their comments section oh yeah i saw that that was super i'll link to it in the show notes because it's it was actually really really well done but i think they found of all their writers the ones who copped the most abuse the top 10 there was eight women and two black men i think that's right no it was it was eight women i think it was like one black man and one white guy and the white guy wrote in the fashion industry Oh, right. Huh. Yeah, it, it was whenever people wrote about stuff that is not aligned with their gender, they got a lot of hate. And because most stuff is aligned with the male gender, it was mostly women getting this hate. That's interesting. I, there's another article that I read a while back. I will see if I can find it. I found it because I was on, in this conversation on Twitter where people were talking about how like women receive, receive more abuse online and someone was like, no, they don't. Here's this article. And um, this article was talking about, like, assessing gender across different sort of... um, Platforms? Yeah, different sort of platforms and the kind of abuse they received. And if I remember, like, in terms of volume, I was surprised by there wasn't a heap of difference in terms of volume. But I remember talking to my friend about it. And one of the things that we pointed out is, like, obviously, like, the abuse that women receive is very much more um, sexually focused, like, sexually violent. But also the, the interesting thing is that when we talk about it, those threats are more... He was saying those threats are more realistic, if that makes sense. You know that quote, like, what is it? Um, men's greatest fear is being laughed at, women's greatest fear is being killed by a man. Yeah. Is that, yeah, sexual violence... And violence against women obviously is, I feel stupid saying obviously is a real issue, but obviously it's a real issue. So if we are looking at the same kind of threats, there's this difference in terms of like how, I don't want to say realistic, but how those threats relate to what actually happens in the world. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because this guy was like, there's no difference. Look at this article. And I was like, huh, actually, I'm. this article is interesting because I was... I thought that, you know, because there's this, like, conversation, which is women receive so much more abuse. And then um, looking at the figures of this one article, one, <laughs> I was like... I was I was surprised. One thing that I enjoy about the audience of this podcast is that I get all the hate. <laughs> oh right, and you mean that that's that's unusual. I think yeah, I think it's really positive. <laughs> I think if our roles were reversed and you were the one getting the hate, we would have probably stopped because I think I am better at coping with being hated than you are. It's, it's not something like oh, you should be better at being hated. I don't think that's a skill that you need to acquire. Yeah, I just I mean that was my fear about starting something like this was I. I didn't I didn't want that. And then yeah, I was surprised. But then I just realized I must be a more sympathetic character. <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton is another great example of what I was talking about with Ghostbusters. A lot of the things people are claiming about her are either just frankly untrue, but they've become part of the narrative and people accept it, or more often something that everyone does. Oh, like what? Like, like the, the classic example in the workplace is women being bossy. Just say there are five bosses, one of which is female, and they all do the exact same thing. There will be complaints about the one w woman who is, you know, doing stuff because it is not what people anticipate or expect. And so the best tweet I saw, I put this up on our Twitter, is uh, imagine if Hillary had five different children to three different husbands. Yeah. Is there, is there someone else that had done that? Yes. Donald Trump. Oh. Oh. Like, that would be the... She would not have a political career. She just flat out wouldn't. That would be the entire conversation. <sighs> you should really fucking read The Wife Drought, man. I've talked about it before, and... Th so there's, like, this kind of... This kind of really clear-cut sort of bias in terms of how we look at men and women... And then there's the wife drought is a really good example of trying to explain why exactly is it that we don't have women in parliament and, you know, the, the social complex social issues that are going on that aren't black and white. And like, we think you, just fucking read the book. Okay. Okay. I'll <laughs> do this with all my spare time. Uh, yeah, why did you not read it while you were sick? Why didn't I read a book about feminism while I was lying semi-conscious in my bed for seven days? Exactly. That is a that is an excellent and not at all dumb question. <laughs> and so the reason I moved from atheism to feminism is I think that the... I, I, I don't really enjoy those terms like the patriarchy and even misogyny is now so loaded. But I think that there's a lot there that is apparent. And I think speaking out about that is way more useful than speaking out about religion. Uh, the, the last example I'll give of that is I used to run a, run a feminism group. I've talked about this in the past. When I be, first became a feminism, I was like, I will do the thing that I do best, which is run stuff. And so Did I, you say when I first became a feminism? Maybe. When I first became a feminist, <laughs> I did what uh, a lot of people do, a lot of men do especially, is like, I'll do what I do best, which is run stuff. And so I ran a little group and people got very annoyed. And I was like, but I'm trying to do the thing. And... One thing that I noticed, and so I, this is entirely anecdotal, so it's not like proof, but one thing that I really quickly noticed was that every single time someone posted a post about a, a prominent woman coming out as a feminist, there are a lot of comments from women, mostly, being like, ah, oh, she says she's a feminist, but she's done this, 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 and this. 
And that, to my mind, makes her not a feminist. Every time a man came out as a feminist, those comments were totally absent. Oh, as in it was like, thank you, what's that guy? Joss Whedon? No, I'm thinking McGorry. Matt McGorry? Is that his name? The guy from Orange is the New Black. He's like one of the famous, most famous male feminists. I do not know that person at all. And so, yeah, again, it's just that the bar is insanely high for women. But at the same time, the criticisms being leveled against those women are not incorrect. Sure. You're just saying that the criticisms don't exist for... Yeah. if, If three people punch me in the face and one of them's a woman and I'm like, arrest that woman... Yes, she should be arrested for punching me in the face, but it is still fucked up that she's the only one being arrested for punching me in the yeah. face. Yeah. I, I see, in my mind, there's a lot of criticism of men coming out as feminists as well. Yeah, okay, that, that example is not as clear-cut, but my point is that in society in general, women are held to a way, way, way higher standard. Well, yeah, particularly if you think about, like, it's interesting, like, when... It's fucking shit's complicated, Shit is complicated. <laughs> but I was just thinking about how this this thing of like um, men exhibiting what would be traditional female characteristics as being something that's celebrated, like like a, a man who's really engaged with his children and a, yeah. a sensitive, um, involved father uh, yeah. is like celebrated. Worthy of note. But like, you know, like it, it actually makes sense when we think about how we think about women that – women don't get the same kind of praise for the same thing because that you know that's expected of them yeah and so that's why i moved from atheism to feminism as my kind of soapbox uh the reason we were talking about atheism is because i really think that if you're doing a thing because god told you to that is a shitty reason to do a thing because you are not going to hold it up to the same standards you're not going to examine it as thoroughly you're not going to think about it as logically you're not going to listen to real world advice and that's why I think that it's kind of fucked that AA was started by a guy who started it because God told him to. I think if if it was still great, sure. Like, if, if the thing that you're doing, it doesn't matter that God told you to, then it shouldn't matter. But the fact is people are going are more likely to do awful things without questioning it if they, if they think it's divinely inspired. I, I understand where you're coming from. I'm really, like, I'm really buffering on the whole okay first of all i a very like i don't know a lot about religion um so i'm like often like no comment don't know <laughs> i didn't grow up in a religious household i you know i just haven't really engaged with it a lot so i don't i don't know i'm just like yeah if it's good for you and you're not hurting anyone that's yeah, good we've, we've, just, we've discussed this in the past i i'm not a huge fan of the like if it works for you attitude because that is so often faulty <laughs> yeah it's messy and it's it's not it's not um yeah and so that brings us to the central question of the podcast which is are you okay with animals being in the room while you have sex uh look i think that it's fine <laughs> yeah i don't i don't understand i guess i understand why people have issue with it it's not a thing that i would ever care about like it's it might be like i think it's i think it's fine i think it's just potentially distracting for me the functional difference between a cat and a roomba <laughs> is that a roomba is useful and has a warranty <laughs> jesus christ you are such a weird person <laughs> Nah, everyone else is weird for liking animals. 
I don't know if it's a left-wing thing or if it's a my particular group thing, but on Facebook, there is this overwhelming sentiment that I see in my Melbourne friends of why would anyone ever, ever, ever like babies? Babies are crap. Everything a baby you do can do, a cat can do instead. Yeah, I, I think that there's some fundamental differences uh, between babies and cats. Yes. Like, cats can't grow into people. Right, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, exactly. one of the big ones. Yeah. And I, I, get, I get frustrated with this overwhelming sentiment of, like, babies are shit, cats are the bomb. I don't know, right? So that's, like, a big, like, decision and... Cats or babies. <laughs> yeah, cats or babies. And I really admire it when... People are like, look, I don't want to have kids, but I like kids because that's yeah. Does that make sense? I have a, I have a friend yeah. who posted about that recently, and I was oh, like, that's so good, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great because I hardly ever see. It's like you have to be on one side or the other. Hey, kids, because so, I feel at the moment I'm like, I'm not, I don't feel confident that I would want to have kids, but I do like kids. And most people are like, I want to have kids because I like them, or I don't want to have kids, and kids are the worst thing on the planet. But it makes me think about uh, anyone who hates kids is probably going to hate me saying this, but I used to be like, kids are awful. And I think it was like, a, for me anyway, it was a way of justifying. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, that's probably reasonably common. Almost like a sour grape situation, not quite that. I'm not saying this is everyone, but I think that for some people there is an element of that. This week's outro is from Anna or Anna. Thank you for listening to Being Honest with My Ex. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a review, and inform your dear friends. SJ is my favorite daughter. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yes! I, I'm surprised that no one said that. That's right. No one said that. It's true. Yeah, that, that's the first. Yeah. I don't know why I'd be your favorite. I am like an awful daughter. Are you? What do you do? Um... I just like. Uh, oh, you killed your parents. That's right. No. You just killed one of them. No, I didn't do that. I just like you know, um, spray painted my dad with shaving cream and the glitter while he was asleep the other week. <laughs> and it, he was like, "Look, this is convenient because I need to shave, but mostly I'm annoyed at you." <laughs> also, I'm actually going out to Pride, so this is really perfect timing. <laughs> Couldn't be better. We, it, it comes out in every outro, but please do leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we learned that that is a really good way of getting more people to listen to the show. So if you like the show and you think other people would like the show, chuck us a review, love. Do you want to say chuck us a review, love? No, I do not. Okay, do you want to say it more, more formally? Uh, chuck us a review, love. <laughs> I meant rephrase, but that works too. That's all from us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.